Secret Friends Unite! Welcome to the Secret Friends Unite podcast, episode 387. This is your guide to the geek side. And before we introduce our hosts, I'll tell you to check out YouTube and subscribe. Leave a comment. We got our 100 subscribers, but we want more and we want more comments. And yes. before and then after that, subscribe to your favorite RSS feed from your favorite podcast service. Subscribe to all of them on the Secret Friends Unite network feed. And then give us a rating, please, because that yes. lets people know that you are listening and tell us what you think. Good or bad, we'll take it as critical, you know, critical uh, discussion, and we'll consider it. Maybe we'll throw it in the, the circular file. But I I'll, bet it'll be, extra. I'll bet it to be critical no matter what. <laughs> yes, yes. And I am your host, Todd Oxtra, joined by my co-host, Charlie Carden. Purple rain, particularly because I'm wearing a purple shirt, which I've decided to, you know, kind of go shirt magic. But this is all three divisions aboard our lovely USS Grand Petoskey, the main ship, our our special forces, and then our Marine Corps unit. So USSGrandPetoskey.com, if you're a Star Trek fan, that is our local chapter. We'd love to hear from you. So that's me. And it's a Sunday. What's, 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 our, what's our advertising rate these days, Charlie? What are you paying us for that? Uh, two slips of gold press latinum that I'll pay you the next time I see you. All right. I will take you up on that. Uh, but before we do that, this show, we are going to do a new segment for at least four weeks this summer before the summer ends. And we're going to do a segment called Does It Hold Up? And week one, we're going to be going into The Crow from 1994. <laughs> so we will talk about that on the back end of the show. But before we do that, we're going to check out a, a comic book cover that all I can say is, I hope this is canon, and we see it in the movies, that is Captain America 387 at the mercy of Modam. You know, this is definitely, because this came out in, well, it was this time, um, 32 years ago. It says July of 1991. So I was definitely a reader um, of the comic at this time, but I have no recollection. This is not one, this is not a, 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 a comic that I've gone through like Amazing Spider-Man and say, yeah, I've read them all or whatever. I definitely was a subscriber at this time, but I have no recollection. I don't remember what the superior stratagem was. This is part one of six. Okay, so just like we were talking about the pre-roll, a lot of comics would go to, you know, bi-monthly or even weekly so that they could crank out like a six-part story in a summertime and try to capitalize on kids are home from school and reading comics and whatever the marketing strategy was, yet no clue. Now, I'm vaguely curious, Todd. Now, you remember, and I think we're about due uh, to have our semi-regular guest host, Katie, back on to do a rundown of pick a cover, <laughs> and maybe we'll get lucky enough to get this one to be a part of it. So I don't know. I will yeah. give you, just give you the synopsis for this one, Charlie, just really quick, because okay. it's, it's, it's gold, Jerry. It's gold. Modem, Modem took... Diamondback and the other serpents, the luxury liner SS Superia, and offers each a lot of money. Apparently, every passenger of the cruise is a costume villainous when Captain America, along with John Jameson and Paladin, tracks Diamondback yeah, yeah, yeah. signal there. They are intercepted and downed by Modem and some of the other people in this comic. Oh my goodness, Black Mamba, Asp, and Diamondback, well, along with all- Nightshade. That's all the the Serpent Society, which again, this is episode, issue three eighty seven in the early three hundreds. That was I don't know if Mark Gruenwald was still doing it at this time. Yes, um, he, was. But he was. He was doing it back then. So I mean, he was the writer of the, that title for 
seven or eight years. And uh, this was definitely the lower end of his run. But that first part of his run was fire. And he created the Serpent Society. It was organized by Sidewinder. He was the lead dude. And he said, you know what? We're going to be mercenaries. We're going to be costume mercenaries. Our theme is all the same. We're all snake themed. And eventually it all went to shit because one of them decided to out. It was Viper who outmaneuvered him and orchestrated his his death or his demise and the whole thing fell apart. But it was a whole thing, Cap trying to break them up. And that was when I really, now I want to go back and read it. But I, I will stop before I get to this because yuck. <laughs> it looks Modem. Nobody knows what it is. I'm just going to call it Modem. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> And assume exactly. it was a techno uh, uh, yeah. IT right. version of Modoc. So with Modam, if you want to defeat him, just uh, unplug him and plug him in again, and he'll be normal. Yeah, yeah. Don't pick there up the go. receiver if it's a dial-up. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, well, that is it for our cover. If you want to check it out, please do Marvel Unlimited or pay the probably 25 cents you can find this at your local comic shop. But I you know what? Before so. you do that, why don't we're going to check in with our gal pal, our senior news correspondent. So without further delay, Madam Webb, take it away. Now it's time for Madam Webb's rumors and news. Take it away, boys. Thank you, Madam Webb. Now, as we just saw with that cover, I think we know Modoc is going to be part of the MCU. And this just makes me think that if there is going to be a Modam, uh, you damn well get that role. Mmm, what a play on words. Well, it is a sad week this week um, in the world of Star Trek and just in the world of entertainment in general. I'm going to walk this one backwards. Uh, earlier in the week, uh, we had the, deck, the death of veteran, veteran character actor David Warner, who had been in untold number of different properties, uh, including Time Bandits, where he played evil. That was a movie. Uh, we had uh, our childhood babysitter back when I lived in Gross Point was a huge Monty Python fan and big fan of all things related to British. So we Time Bandits was something, probably one of the first VHS tapes we ever watched. And of course, he was the villain and he was absolutely spectacular in that role. But in the Star, Star Trek world, uh, he was the very noble Klingon Chancellor Gorkhan in Star Trek VI. Uh, he then played the very sinister There Are four, there are Five Lights uh, Cardassian torturer of Captain Picard Golmadred in the 1992 two-part Chain of Command and also appeared as St. John Talbot in the very forgettable William Shatner directed Star Trek V. He was the human guy. That was his only non-makeup role in Star Trek. So um, wonderful actor, uh, will be missed not only for that, but obviously for everything else uh, that he did. Uh, and another passing was a veteran, uh, heavy, kind of a heavy of films, uh, actor Paul, Paul Sorvino. Both gentlemen were in their 80s. Um, Sounds like Paul Fort Sorvino passed away at the Mayo Clinic, so he was ill. Uh, he had a single Star Trek role, but of note, uh, he was Worf's human foster brother that we who was a, 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 a social scientist that we saw in an episode uh, late in that run of the series. So very sad, uh, but Todd, as we were talking, it's very sad, but we, we do have gentlemen who are older, so it's not... Terribly hard to believe, but that doesn't make it. Well, lived lives, yeah. right? I mean, well, yeah, well they weren't in their 60s. They weren't in their 70s. They lived in over 80 years old. That's a right. pretty good milestone. You know, and something that struck us, this is very fresh news for us here today on Sunday. But by the time you're listening to this on Friday, it uh, will have been well dissected. But uh, got news mid-afternoon that uh, on Saturday, 
Nichelle Nichols passed away uh, at the age of 89. Uh, Nichelle played uh, the groundbreaking role of Lieutenant Neota Uhura in the original Star Trek series from 1966 to 1969, reprising the role in the animated series in 1972, uh, and then in a film series starting uh, in 1979 through 1991, ending with Star Trek VI, which we already mentioned. Um an incredible groundbreaking character, an African-American or black female, an officer uh, on the bridge of a starship set in the future, filled with uh, alien characters, characters uh, of other people of color and other races, um, and really pioneering what series creator Gene Roddenberry uh, called infinite diversity and infinite combinations. My social media feeds, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, have been filled in the last five hours since this news broke uh, of all of their experiences with Nichelle at Comic-Cons, how she was just so absolutely Delightful to be around, um, telling people how much you love them, giving them a hug, signing long flowing autographs, and just generally being a phenomenal human being. Just last year, she produced uh, or was produced about her documentary called Women in Motion, which is available on Paramount Plus, which is where you probably watch Star Trek anyway, about her extensive role with the NASA space program in the 1980s moving forward uh, to nearly present day. So just an absolutely incredible woman. Uh, she had suffered from ALS for about the last five or six years. Uh, and I have no doubt that that played a role uh, in her death. So very sad, but again, a very well lived accomplished life. Uh, she survived by a son uh, who went on to uh, pass along the details of her passing this afternoon. So, uh, my club, our, our Star Trek fan club that I mentioned, we had a meeting just before uh, we had this and we did observe a moment of silence for Nichelle uh, and for everything that she's accomplished. So very sad passing, but again, a very well-lived life. Yeah, very accomplished. Uh, so much for life even before she joined Star Trek, uh, then after and all the things she did. And to your point, Charlie, that documentary is fantastic. Loved it to pieces. Uh, so definitely pay tribute and see, uh, you know, some of these icons, you know, th they leave behind more than just their filmography. So, uh, Godspeed, Missoura. All right. What else we got? Let's talk about something fun. Yeah. So, uh, we are getting an icon from the nineties, Mr. Max Hedrum. He is apparently going to be rebooted at AMC from the Halt and Catch Fire co-creator and Matt Frewer will return. Um, Max Hedrum was such an odd phenomenon. The fact that he was part of an, it was like a, a, a pirate radio type of initiative as kind of like a thing someone did um, that basically they were able to get into the network and host this character named Max Hedrum. And it was odd. Well, somebody picked that up and decided to make a, you know, a series of commercials with Max Hedrum played by Matt Furrer for like Coke. It was so odd. And then out of that, they decided he should be a, it should be a TV series that's set in the future about a reporter. Uh, his name was Edison. I can't remember his last name. Um, he was basically hit his head, got knocked out, and uh, in at the at, to to save him, essentially his personality got put into a program called Max Hedrum. And it was a really fun show about he was a reporter. They were trying to bring down big business because it was all about TV and ads, and it was just a fun show. I really enjoyed it. And he was just one of those odd, like, pop culture icons that, you know, if you didn't know Max Hedrum to even look him up, you wouldn't even know existed. But I always thought it was a fun TV show. Very fun. 
Definitely. I absolutely remember watching that show. Um, to, so to see this coming in, are we getting the vibe that, uh, oh, forward to return? My goodness. So Max Headroom, like uh, Data from Star Trek or some other kind of weird construct, he will have aged in some fashion or will he be, I mean, even his original appearance, he was kind of jittery oh, yeah. and whatever. So that he's just going to be maybe totally made Heavily up. makeup. Or, he kind or, of looked or, like or animated. Yeah. yeah, maybe animated in some fashion. So... So this yeah. is cool. Yeah. Um, if this was just announced, when uh, when will this? I mean, if this rolled camera, we'd probably see this potentially next year sometime. Yeah, probably. Probably. I mean, depends on you know what they need to put in motion. It's AMC, which typically makes good stuff. Um, Elijah Wood is also uh, co-producing this, and um, it will be unique how this works in a modern age with the internet and we're all in on it. So um, I don't know if it'll be like a dramedy. It'll be like something that's poking fun at it or it'll be like straight up. Nope. Max never left. And they're telling more stories with Max. I don't know how the show ended, but it originally started in the BBC. Apparently right. it was a little short and then it got brought over to the U S and actually they uh, moved forward and made it a series in the U S. So uh, yeah, well, I uh, am interested to see how this plays out. Well, uh, they said it couldn't be done, but it's being done. And Mr. Batfleck is going to be joining Aquaman, Mr. Jason Momoa, in Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. How do we know this? Well, apparently there was a studio tour and there was a trailer that said B.A. on it. Not B.A. Baracus, but Ben Affleck and Jason Momoa got found out on the tour. Um, And he said, oh, we were supposed to be hit. This was supposed to be a surprise. And I'm like. Okay. Oh, boy. Charlie, is DC the most confusing thing in the world? I thought we were moving on. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I all these they, characters, they, I thought their, their role was over. Yeah, they, I mean, it seemed like they were taking a big step away from, you know, the, the Batman versus Superman. People didn't love it. The Justice League was a mess. People, you know, they, they had the, the messy release and then they had the Snyderverse. But, I mean, even when we were talking to Katie, she was like, you know, I don't need to see a longer version of a film that I thought was shitty in the first place. So, that being said, you know, Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman is considered to be a successful part. People like Aquaman is getting a sequel. Ezra Miller's Flash is a total mess. What's the deal with bringing back Batfleck? You know why? Why are why are they doing it? What is the size? Well, he's of in the, the Flash. Apparently, he apparently right. is in the Flash movie too. So I don't know. Maybe this is his swan song to finally a, end end the chapter of these characters in this way we know them. There's already another Batman um, in a what I thought was a very successful movie with Robert Pattinson, Rob Bat Bat and Bat uh, earlier this year. So this is a bit messy. I mean, you know and. I guess Marvel is kind of getting into that territory as well, but their live action films are following some kind of cohesive narrative with the same characters playing the same actors, or they're clearly identified as being, well, this is a, you know, it's a whole movie about the multiverse, which they did with Dr. Strange. So yeah, you know, Patrick Stewart showed up or, you know, they put John Krasinski in as Mr. Fantastic. And it was acknowledged that this is not your set of characters. So is that going to be done in this fashion? That's obviously what the Flash movie is all about because you've got Michael Keaton coming back and, you know, what other surprises do they have? So this seems very much like, mm, to me, you know what I mean? I don't really know what they're going to 
do with this to make it work? I don't think this really matters because Batman didn't die in the Justice League. Aquaman didn't, you know, the movie's happening after the Justice League. So I could see him showing up. Um, and this might have been planned so far in advance. Might be part of a contract that they already had that a lot of these things are so done so far in advance. I don't think they pivot very quickly. Um, right. I still think the Flash, they're going to pivot that to be Flashpoint and Ezra Miller's done. And I think they're going to tie up a lot of those loose ends and they will have a fresh start with some of these characters that they'll have. Some characters will continue. Some will not. And we'll get different versions of the characters we all know, know and love. And Henry Cavill, there was lots of buzz that at yeah, San Diego Comic-Con, okay. he was supposed to be brought out that he was going to be bat Superman again. Didn't happen. Bad. So that's what we need. Composite Superman. That's how they're going to fix this. Because that's a character I always loved in the Lego movies. It's just trot out a character who's drawn right down the middle. Half of it is Superman, half of it is Batman. So it's got one, one you know, spike, one cowl, or one. What the hell do you call that? What are the things that have one horn? Horn on the side. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, um, it's an ear probably because it's and, a bat, right? And instead, the, his face is green instead of you know pink. I, I don't know. Um, well, yeah, you remember I, the classic Super Friends episode where Frankenstein, they turned they, the Superman Frankenstein monster, where it was Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman all in one? That was so fun. That, you don't remember uh, that? I, you know what? I don't, but now I feel like I got to go, oh. go go out and seek it out. I it's, mean, it's fantastic. I couldn't tell you. I will find it for you, Charlie. Yes, please. Do. Obviously, that will be available on HBO Max. But all right, moving on. Uh, so we're still. Spinning off of San Diego Comic Con last week, or, or, or from the couple of weeks, the news stories are still kind of dribbling out. But uh, Kevin Feige coming out talking about the Fantastic Four film, which we are going to get in 2025 as the end. Did we decide it was the end of Phase Six or the end, the beginning of Phase Six or the end of Phase Five? Beginning of Phase Six, yeah. Beginning of be the Phase two Six Avengers movies. Yeah, exactly. So that that's what's essentially the year twenty twenty five is going to be a one year phase, is what they're calling it. Right. Well, why? I mean, there's a lot really packed into there, but uh, he's really what Kevin Feige did say in reference to it, and this is something that I think worked incredibly well for uh, Sony and Disney when bringing in Tom Holland as Spider-Man in, in 20, 2016, 2017, uh, is that we're going to skip the much beleaguered origin story. We don't need it. Um, we know, you know, the, the majority of people, you know, through th basically three films, well, you know, one of which was within the same franchise, people kind of know how the Fantastic Four came to be. It's also something that can be tackled incredibly easy in dialogue or in a simple flashback uh, sequence uh, contained within the film. So this movie is going to jump uh, right into the Fantastic Four, what they're doing, whatever it is is going on at the MCU at that time, and kind of the role that they play in it. So very smart. I'm glad to hear this. Uh, there are still persistent rumors that Jason Siegel will appear as Benjamin Grimm, the thing, and She-Hulk attorney at law, which we're going to have just in a couple of weeks here, but nothing is confirmed. Um, but I would love that because the thing is one of my all-time favorite characters. So this, the, the sooner or the more that I can see about him, I'm all about it. But yeah, smart decision. I'm sure Todd, you'll agree that uh, another origin story for a, a well-established group of characters is highly unnecessary. It's going to be interesting though, because Fantastic Four origin the Fantastic Four is pretty much unknown, except if you saw a crappy movie. And how many people saw the old movie? Lots. I just plenty, don't know. Plenty, but it was 15 years ago. The, yeah. The, and, the, the two, yeah, with Ian. And, and that origin Ian is so 
dated. You know, they were on because I was going to the moon. So I'll be curious how they play that out. Is it like going to be like they're going to recap it? Are they going to do something to actually keep people up to speed? Because, yeah, there's kids that don't know crap about the Fantastic Four. They're like 20 years and younger. Probably not. So I I, I don't know. Spider-Man, Batman, Superman. Yes. Everybody else is probably fair game to say you may not know much about them. Um, right, and but, but, the, yeah. but, but do you have to take another a whole other film to do an origin story when they obviously want to bring it into synchronization with what's already going to be going? Because they're setting it up. It's you know, it's if it's this film and then two Avengers films, things have got to be yeah. pretty far along, right? So they want to be like, well, let's stop all the momentum we've got and have a long drawn on entire film about well, they're because the original story was you know. There was you know, Reed Richards developed a special rocket engine, uh, but his government funding got pulled. But then he needed to make his space flight in order to prove his technology. Oh, it was his radiation shield, which didn't work because they flew into space and they got hit by uh, the cosmic. Was it cosmic? Ra- it was cosmic rays because gamma rays was cosmic cold. rays. Cosmic yes. rays. They got hit by and cosmic rays are little like long things that when they hit, they would go tech 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 tech. There was the actual noise made the comic bringing it to you and then the rocket crashed amazingly exactly where they launched it from they all got out and they found out that they had powers because it was stan lee they talked about it the whole time fantastic four number one 1961 go read it it's there it won't take you long and it'll probably be the only one you want to read because it's just kind of scripted that poorly but i'm glad i think marvel hasn't has missed the mark a lot less frequently then they've hit it. They've hit the mark a lot less frequently than they've hit it. You know what I'm trying to say? Blah, blah, blah. Tongue stick. Yeah, I mean, but but Daredevil got an origin in Netflix show, but they had right. a movie with Ben Affleck in it. So I don't know. I don't know. I, don't know. But, I think. I think. But, I don't think this is a, a one and done. I think. Yes, but it was on Netflix, which is one of the most popular you know things in the world. So yeah, once again, I think it's okay to retell the origin if it makes sense. Like I said, if it hasn't been Batman, Superman, or somebody else, largely most people don't pay attention. Like 99% of the population don't know who the Fantastic Four is, and they've never heard of them, and they don't care. So then how do you make them care? Right. If they just show up with four people and, and have a team versus one character – Right. A team, that's a lot of heavy lifting to say, oh, here's all these characters you know nothing about, and now you got to develop their character. It's like the right. Guardians of the Galaxy, right? But Todd, the Eternals, look how great that worked out. Exactly. They show up, and now we got 25 characters. Like, why should right. I care? So right. maybe they, their first appearance, though, will prob- maybe not be in that movie. And that this would is them be, getting their movie. And that maybe that's how smart. you introduce them. Right, yeah. right. Well, you know what? We have – Three years to figure it out. So, um, but anyway, here it's funny. Here's a cosplay that I thought about doing because you know what? It has that jacket. It covers up the ills. But uh, we're going to get Spider Man across the Spider Verse. Is that this November? October November? No, no, it's next year, Charlie. It was pushed out. Oh, that is right. I forgot about that. Man, that's a bummer. But anyway, the character of Spider Punk, which is. Hobie Brown, who's actually the Prowler on our Earth, but on, on a different Earth, he is a punk rock and roller, anti-establishment individual who also gets bitten by a radioactive spider. And then he has essentially the classic Spider-Man costume, but with certain punk accoutrement 
including a spiky mohawk on the outside of the costume and wrist bracelets and a jean jacket with the sleeves torn off and spikes on it. Cause what's more rock and roll than that anyway is, and, and the, the, you know, it's one of the figures I have in my collection comes with the guitar. Um, but yeah, he uh, is going to be featured in the now obviously super delayed. God, if it comes out next year, that's five years between the two films, which I guess, you know, I guess that's really not that much. You think about how much space there was between, uh, you know, Toy Story stuff. But the merch is showing up in the store. So you're scrolling through this article. This, this, yeah. this Twitter drop. Oh, very that's odd. That's not good. It's not good to have that much <laughs> of a delay in the merch because, I mean, you know, figures aren't doing so so great anyhow. But yeah, he's from yeah. Earth 138. Uh, but yeah, gained his powers and became a spider totem, which makes one part of the uh, Spider Verse. I'm wondering the plot line of this film is it going if it's going to veer more towards the traditional spider-verse storyline that we saw in the comics and kind of the 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 early teens the late aughts because i always love that series very much so uh and it's supposed to be ending which is uh, the, the comic version of it so we shall see but anyway i love the spider punk look forward to seeing him in the story i don't know that we're getting much information about as far as who might be voicing him um Slated for verse March 29, 2024. What? No, that doesn't seem right. It says it right here, man. It's so bizarre. Oh, my God. Oh, no, wait a second. No, it doesn't. No, okay. Is that? Oh, that's the sequel. (laughs) So, yes, you're right. Uh, June 2 of 2023. The sequel is 2024. Okay, that sounds bad. That's a little bit more pale. Yeah. But anyway, cool character, character, Todd. I'm sure you don't probably know much about this at all. Well, he was in um, the costume was in the Spider-Man uh, game from 2018. Mm. So you could play as the character. And I read some of the Spider-Verse uh, series, so I'm familiar with the character. But yeah, I mean, uh, this is the fun part you can do with the Spider-Verse. You can bring in all these layer variants of Spider-Man. It's very fun. So I'm all for it. And they made a uh, Spider-Man guitar that kids can buy because why not? Right. Because for a movie that won't be out for a year. So totally awesome. Yeah. Okay. Well, last story, uh, you know, apparently this is where I, I, I'm struggling with owning everything is the fact that the MCU and all their characters, everyone is going to be just fighting for screen time between Disney plus the movies, whatever. And when you bring in a team like the X-Men, which apparently is going to happen in phase seven, that's a lot of characters. That's a lot of approach. Uh, how to approach it is going to be interesting how they do approach this and who they'll actually bring in as the actors. Um, obviously, we got Charles Xavier, who got to be seen in uh, the Doctor Strange film. So it was a lot of fun that we got that uh, mm-hmm. callback. But, you know, it, it will be interesting to see if they play with the other versions of the X-Men, like McAvoy and, and some of the other characters as well. Um, but, you know... If we think about this, um, the phase six is ending in 2025, then the nearest or soonest we'll see uh, an X-Men film is 2026. Right. Um, And people are thinking maybe Deadpool is the way this happens, and there may be a Deadpool movie. That well, essentially brings in the X-Men. Yeah, I mean, it says it right here. Deadpool 3 has been discussed. Uh, it does make note of it that uh, Ryan Reynolds and the upcoming Deadpool 3 would be the exception to that rule. So that is established. Um, but yeah, 
And Ryan, Re- yeah, and I guess it's really meant to be known if Ryan Reynolds still playing Deadpool will be a continuation of the previous two films, or you know how how's all that going to shake out? That's a good point because we already saw Colossus, and we also mm-hmm. saw uh, teenage. I always screw up the name. Warhead, Nega oh, Warhead, ne- ne- Nega <laughs> teenage Nega Sonic Warhead. Yeah. Uh, beyond that, though, I mean, you did get. Um, uh, juggernaut as well but beyond you didn't get a lot of other x-men so uh, that, that does leave some untouched where you could play with others obviously um wolverine would you know could be a touchstone that we've always heard there might be a version of wolverine which could be you know hugh jackman just to because those two have a rivalry in real life that could be fun right. to spring him in as a version right. of logan maybe old man logan you know, right. we got Logan, but maybe Old Man Logan could be appropriate. Who Jackman, if they want to play with some alternate timelines. But I, I don't know, right. Charlie. I, I, it's just, it's just, I'm getting old. We're both getting old. <laughs> and it's like these things. We start talking well, about 2025, 2026, and it's like, man, oh man. I'm, wow. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking we're going to make it that far, but <laughs> still, I, don't know. I mean, yeah, I hear you. How are we going to get three X Men films? How are we going to get like you know, Black Panther's only on number two, and it took them right. forever to get number two out. Miss um, right. Marvel is finally getting her second film. Doctor right. Strange might get a third film. I don't know. So I don't know how they're going to be able to pace themselves at this point with so many characters they're playing with, more and stu- more people not getting tired of it. More stuff they're going to have to dump on Disney Plus because they can crank those out more quickly. Um, you yeah. know, there's. There's 52 weeks in a year, and Disney Plus has shown that they're not so afraid to cross stuff over with Star Wars, which they were doing for a while. They didn't want to overlap, but now they are because we got, you know, they're doing it now. We're going to get in August, we'll get uh, She-Hulk, but then we'll have Andor as well, and then things will continue to over. What's the next Disney production uh, on, what's the next MCU production on Disney Plus after She-Hulk? Echo? Uh, I'm Groot. that far down? No, I am uh, Well, no, I am yeah. Groot's a one. I am Groot's a one shot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right, well, it's the, actually little, little one shots, but yeah. Right, um, but as far as the next in, you know, in continuity kind of ongoing, you know, live action bit. I I, I feel oh, like it might, it, it might be Echo because that's, that's at least being produced now. Maybe. <laughs> well, um, I mean, no. like I said, like I said, and more to the point, they're not afraid to overlap. Uh, they're real again. There's only 52 weeks in the year, and the beauty of the streaming in general is that people can watch. What if things. season two, early 2023, is what I'm seeing? But that's not there live action, go. right? Uh, and, it, and, and, and the wasp, and then Secret Invasion, early 2023. Right. Okay. So, the, so really, after She-Hulk, they won't have something for almost six months, um, which is, seems very unusual. But again, more to the point, when they, when they get all their chakras aligned and things are cranking along. The beauty of the streaming piece of it is that they're not competing for airspace. It's not like, oh, you know, back when we were kids, and oh, there's three networks and you've got to watch must-see TV on Thursday because if you don't, you know, on April 27th at 8.30, if you don't watch Full House, uh, you're not going to be able to see it until summertime reruns and then, you know, you're going to have to cut your camping trip short. I mean, it's just, you watch it anywhere, anytime, watch it at 3 o'clock in the morning on your phone on the toilet. doesn't matter. It's not a big problem. So, but marketing dollars are limited. So it's like Disney's not going to pay a billion dollars for each. They're going to spend their right. money accordingly. So, right. and overlapping often, you cut the you cut the uh, you take the wind out of someone's sails. Like Obi Wan was still going on when Miss Marvel launched. 
I think that kind of hurt it because it it's not like she got her own time just to be by herself. She had to you know share the spotlight with Obion, which is such a big show but that ultimately becomes. Yeah, I mean, people can still go back and see it now. They'd be like, "That's oh, I've true," been, but people have I've been, but but it's to be like short term oh, memory, Charlie. Yeah, right. But if you know, something out of sight, out of mind. It. True. Out of, sight, I, out of mind with so much of the shows like Netflix. I didn't right. know that came out and people forget and they move on. But people like, oh, I just went and saw Thor and I loved it. So now I'm on a I'm on a Marvel kick. So I didn't want, end up watching Miss Marvel. I'm gonna, it's just you know the streaming you know as a revolution in, in television you know television input, particularly post COVID, is really about the individual and being able to determine kind of their own destiny with how they take things in it and where. So, but again, from a marketing standpoint, that's a complete nightmare. So the only thing they can really promote is the, is the service. That's yeah. ultimately Although, how the marketing dollar plays out is to say, how can Disney plus get more, you know, hits or clicks or people visibility than Netflix, which, you know, or how do we squeeze out Paramount plus, or how do we squeeze out Peacock or Hulu or whatever it is? So, it's just well, it's or, just it's just so very different than even when I was in school learning about advertising or the you know the time that I worked in radio and television early in my career. It's just it's oh, just absolutely. very different. And 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 we're going to see more disruption and I think the part of the thing that's changing too is we are essentially we're, we're in the pand or in the epidemic version of the pandemic and people aren't stuck at home anymore. So I think we're going to see a lot less people putting our eyes on the TV and going out and doing things, going to the theater, going to movies in the theater, going to concerts and things like that. And we're seeing that numbers are not peaking anymore. They're, I mean, Netflix didn't grow for the first time. Facebook isn't growing. Um, you know, Peacock plus is essentially flat. So I think it's a dangerous game to say like people will, watch everything right i don't think people have enough time anymore so if you do not have it set aside nobody is going to be watching anything on peacock plus because that's not a real service (laughs) i enjoy it there's some good things there it's my favorite peacock plus oh man well anyway it sounds like that takes us out of the news but todd uh the time has come let's get that gypsy cab they take cash only or you can pay in rubles uh get us downtown to scuggsville nasty town it's time to go to the Geek Easy. Let's do it. Talk nerdy to me. Talk nerdy to me. We're sitting in the Geek Easy, drinks are poured, and we're ready to get our nerd on. So, Charlie, uh, as we were chatting before we came on, uh, I thought you talked about this, but you hadn't. But you're bringing up an infamous Stephen King TV it's- in famous and again you're right we absolutely it was it was a two-part miniseries and yes we have talked about it because we were talking about stephen king in general april's a huge stephen king fan so like in our voodoo we have stuff organized like we have a stephen king folder and i'm like i'm a i'm a hawk for voodoo and like i have a reminder on my calendar check voodoo sales because i have a wish list so like one week a year ago it's like uh it was on sale i had the langoliers which was a two-part miniseries event one of the networks in 1995. And let me tell you, for the cost of renting out the outside of an airplane and shooting some stuff at Bangor International Airport in Bangor, Maine, and a couple of pickup shots at LAX, you too uh, can turn a Stephen King novel about a group of people who are flying a red-eye flight from L.A. to Boston uh, and wake up and all but seven of them have disappeared and including the pilot, um, into a 
two-part TV movie about a little blind girl uh, who has The Shining and Bronson Pinchot in a very unlikable role. So, Todd, I assume you've seen it. I have not, because uh, I was warned that it's horrible. <laughs> well, you, but you know about it. Yeah, you're probably warned by me. Yeah, I, I remember seeing this. Maybe it was even on in the in the summer, early fall. Because Todd, you you and I met you and I met in '95, but it was the fall, so maybe this was. You know, we'd have to get our research drones looking to see actually when this came out. But I know I saw it when it came on, and it looked cheap and crappy at that time. But yeah, it's a, you know, it's a, it, it's obviously it's available for purchase on Vudu. It's dirt cheap because it is dirt cheap, very low budget. But yeah, it's about. Uh, this group of people who are flying, you know, one of them's a little blind girl. She's flying to Boston to have an operation for her eyes. And the other one is a, he's an SAS hitman, a British guy. Uh, the pilot is played by actor David Morse. Uh, so he's the most notable name besides Bryson Pincho, uh, who is Balky, of course, from uh, Perfect Strangers as a very obnoxious businessman. Uh, Frankie Ooh. Faison, who's a black actor who you've seen in a lot of different stuff. He was the obnoxious landlord in Coming to America. There, that's the most notable no, that role that you could probably think of, him, think of him as. And then a couple of real no-names are featured in it as well. But it's bad. You know, the CGI of the Langoliers, who ends up being the monsters who essentially they, they eat moments in time as they pass so that Time can move forward, but what happened is the plane flies through a rip in the space-time continuum, Todd's favorite plot device, uh, mm-hmm. and they, and they they essentially end up in a frozen piece of time, um, and then they have to fight to escape to get back through the hole in the space-time continuum. So they go to they go to Bangor, and then they fly back, and they've got to back to, get back to LA and fly through the hole in the space-time continuum. Do they make it? Do they survive? Blah blah blah. At the end of it. A lot of it doesn't make any sense. Um, and the animation of the Langoliers, who are essentially, they're basically meatballs with tri-cornered mouths with sharp, razor-sharp teeth, and they dissolve or they eat things and make stuff collapse, and that's how time passes. You know, Stephen King did a lot of cocaine in the 80s, and let me just leave it at that. <laughs> I'm looking at pictures now, and... Wow, it's amazing! Yeah, but it was, that's, that's yeah, great. We were we were kicking around because yeah, the Stephen King like a, a couple of months ago there was like buy these eight Stephen King movies for like twenty bucks or something. So I did that. So I put it in the folder. I'm like, let's scroll through the folder and let's watch something. Yeah, we've seen Cujo. We've seen Pet Cemetery a bunch of times. We've seen you know Thinner. We've seen oh, we've never watched The Langoliers. You want to? It's three hours long because it was two. 90 minute segments or maybe it was out over three days because it was really it's actually three hours um yeah and and i would say not a moment wasted but not a mo- not a moment used smartly is what i can say about it oh but other than that so, and i feel i feel, go ahead please i was gonna say so it it doesn't hold up <laughs> todd it literally didn't hold up when i watched it 30 years ago <laughs> Almost 30 years ago. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's it's bad. Uh, but if you want to chuckle, what, you know, if it's one of those voodoo watch free with commercials, go for it. It's a giggle. Um, especially if you're a completist 
of some variety of Stephen King stuff, which always with April, she was like, I got to see everything that's out there. That did not keep us from not watching the new version of Firestarter, which is available on. No. Oh, yeah, no, I heard that was, that was, that was worthless. That was about 20 minutes in and it was like, no, there's, it's no dice. Um, something I did, you know, something I did really love that I saw this weekend. And I feel bad because I had a bad night's sleep on uh, Friday. So I was a little drowsy. So I did drowse off a little bit during this movie. And I wish, I really wish I hood and head because we saw it like two o'clock in the afternoon. But the DC League of Super Pets, Todd, this is one of our our stalwart holdouts for the end of our movie league. We have this and we have Bullet Train, which comes out next weekend, are the last things. Bullet Train, Money Train. <laughs> Got five weeks for somebody to derail yeah. uh, the black phone. Right, exactly, to get it out of the top ten. But this was really fun. So this was uh, essentially, there have been commercials going around about this forever. Uh, we have just a very fun romp in the spirit of the secret life of pets and a lot of the other films. Now, this is not a Pixar, but this is uh, probably a DreamWorks, I'm guessing. It's without... DC Animation. It's Warner Brothers yeah, Animation, okay, which I don't, know. Yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know who actually, what else they do. Um, right. They did uh, the Lego right. movies, I believe, beyond that. Right, sure. right, 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 right. But anyway, this is very fun. So obviously your main character in this is Crypto, who is voiced by Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Uh, you've got John Krasinski, who's voicing Superman as his owner. They started out in a very fun way. Todd, you're going to go see it, I assume, right? Potentially. Uh, I am prob. I mean, unless I'm really bored and need something to do, um, I would probably just wait to see it on HBO Max because it's coming in no 45 reason. days. There's a reason. Well, but if my mom wants it, my mom's coming in a couple weeks to visit. You never if know. we're bored, we need something to do. Maybe we'll go see right. it on a Tuesday. You know, so I will. I, you know, again, I won't reveal any uh, critical plot points because there, there really are names an animated movie for kids. But yeah, you know, it takes, uh, you know, Superman uh, right from his birth. Uh, but instead of, you know, flying away in that pod uh, off of Krypton and birth, Crypto jumps in there with him. So they're together his whole life. And I think that that's really fun and cute. And as, I don't call that a spoiler because you can see it coming a mile away. Oh, sure. uh, but it's fun. It's fun. Yeah. John Krasinski is Superman. Uh, Olivia Wilde is Wonder Woman. But then you, you do get this host. And there are. Really, the Justice League themselves are really very minor, minor characters in this because it's really about the pets. Your other, you know, you have uh, basically an animal rescue uh, filled with other animals that get superpowers, the, the lead one of which is Ace the Bat Hound, voiced by Kevin Hart. Uh, you also get, and I'm going to forget the names of the characters, you get, you know, uh, you get a, a, you know, a Wonder Pig who's voiced by Vanessa Bayer. You get, um, now I'm forgetting who the other voice actor. You, you get basically a squirrel that shoots lightning out of its hands, who ends up being a Green Lantern, and it's turtle. just it's yeah. And you get a turtle who's voiced by Natasha Leone. She did a really great job of that. I thought nice. this this was a lot of fun. I would love it if it was taken off more than it is. It's going to snag about 23 million domestic, which is kind of a bummer. I would love to see it be more of a hit. It, it's endlessly smarter within its own realm than what I'm sure the Minions movie was, which looked just absolutely dreadful, I know, in all the trailers. And it was literally the only movie... For this toddlers. Summer. Yeah, yeah. this was literally... the That one, the Minions, is literally the only movie of this summer of the 11 that you, John, and I have in our uh, brackets that April said, I will not see that movie. And we went and saw the previous ones, but it's like, it's just, it's just too bad. This is fun. Does it bring anything outrageously different to the table? Absolutely not. But it's a giggle. They poke a lot of fun at little superhero-related things, little DC-related things. So it's good. Todd, I think you would enjoy it. But again, if you end up seeing it on HBO Max, you're not really missed much. 
So, but anyway, sure. for, for the kids yeah. out there, if you're listening to the sound of my voice, hopefully not with children. Um, but if you have children or if you love this kind of stuff, I would I would definitely consider checking this out. Go pump it up. Help my movie league bracket because I think I put it way too high. Yeah, it's funny because uh, once Logan got of a certain age, he's just not big into going to movies. So I really don't have an excuse to go see an animated film unless it was something like unique or different. I'm like, this one looks like normal fare. I like the DC yeah. animated stuff. They always do a good job. It's by the same folks. The guy who directed this directed, um, I believe, Lego Batman. So mm. they do a good job with the puns and the inside jokes. Yeah, I mean, like Lego Batman was absolutely delightful. Oh, great stuff. movie. It was great yeah, That stuff, was fantastic. So yeah. Yeah, couldn't so, yeah, miss out on so, that. Yeah. All right. So what do you got? Yeah, the Paper Girls is out. I didn't watch it, but when I saw a thing for it, it made me think of you. So how is it? Yeah, it's funny because we're, we're talking about, like, you know, what are streaming services doing? How are they dropping their content? And Paper Girls, they dropped all the episodes at once, which is odd. And this is on Amazon Prime because oh, wow. normally they don't. They only put a couple of episodes, like, uh, some of their shows. And I'm like, because, like, The Boys, I think it's the first two got dropped. And then the, you had to go weekly. So it's an interesting why they dropped all these at once, but I watched the first two. Um, this is a show that's set in 1988. This is based on a comic book uh, by Brian K. Vaughn and drawn by Cliff Chang. Great book. And essentially it was came out about the same time as Stranger Things did. So these will get a lot of comparisons, even though essentially the comic book came out the same time. But regardless, this is four girls who run paper routes and they're called the paper girls. Cause this is at the same time where the, there weren't girls doing this type of thing, running paper routes at the time. And it's a coming of age. They're probably all about 14 ish, you know, becoming women. And it's, they're all of them are different. The girls are one's poor kid, you know, kind of on the, having a tough time. There's one girl, she is Chinese, um, first generation struggling with her, her mom's, you know, not being able to speak English, uh, and not being liked very well in a town where essentially jobs are being taken away by um, Japanese automakers. So people think she's Japanese. And there's a lot mm. of pushback, a lot of racism. There's a black girl who is kind of like she's the uh, uber smart, uber talented. She's the one that's going to succeed. And then you've got one girl who's a uh, Jewish girl who who's part of the rich family, uh, who's kind of a sporto. Um, so they've all got unique personalities and, uh, I won't give too much away, but it is a lot of fun. It, it, it is a slower moving series based on the first episode. And this is more of a, I would say a time travel show. And the interesting part, which you've seen, I won't, it's not a spoiler because you've seen in the trailer, but essentially the one girl, Aaron, who is Chinese essentially meets her adult version of herself and let's just put it this way. She's not impressed by her adult version. She's like, and they have a very interesting, very revealing conversation, you know, that's kind of like if your younger self met your current self, it's like, what would they have to say seeing where you are now? And it's like, oh, that's an interesting dynamic. So it's the, the try and travel part I'm struggling with. That's the part that I'm like, hmm, it doesn't feel very clear yet, but there is, I think, 10 episodes and they're about 30 to 40 minutes long, so not too long. So I, I really like the second episode more than the first because the second episode really kind of drove those uh, identities of the girls, the relationships. And there's some inter undertones that are revealed at the end of the first episode or second episode, which I think will carry it forward. I didn't read the whole lo line of Wonder uh, Paper Girls. 
but I did feel like the pacing was much better. So that's something I've heard about the show. It's a little slower pacing, but what it does is does some pretty good things. So, um, but it's like, again, stranger things, but with time travel and takes mostly in modern day, which is kind of interesting. So, you know, if you're interested, check out the first episode, but I would say watch at least the first two set the first episode. I don't think you're going to walk away very impressed. I think the second episode is where it really picks up and moves forward. That's the juice. The juice gets the squeeze, right? Exactly. Yeah. And then uh, lastly, uh, Umbrella Academy season two. It's a it's a series. I watched the first episode and I'm like something else grabbed my attention, like as it does. And I watch I start a lot of things, don't always finish them. But this oh, one, I'm oh, like, look, you know what? oh, look, a blue car. Exactly. I am. I get distracted because I always like to watch new things and see what hooks me. But I always wanted to get back to the Umbrella Academy after season one, which I loved. Season two, the first episode, I will say they're they're in 1960s Texas, Dallas, and yeah, their I've mission. Heard, I've, heard, I've yeah. heard of it. I've heard. Yeah. Yeah, their mission is is something to do with the Kennedy assassination, and it pivots but it's kind of a cool look at 60s the society and the mission and these characters we the heavy lifting of season one is done but now it's like how are they uh reacting being divided again in dallas texas and then how are they get brought back together so i'm very excited i finished the first the second season got chris hooked on it so we were watching it together we just couldn't stop and um really enjoyed it quite a bit um so season three just dropped and I'm going to start jumping in on that because it looks really fun. It's once again, time travel happens. Things are up and the world is not the same as they left it when they get back to night. Look uh, at you 20. watching a whole show. I am so proud of you, Toddy. Good work. Uh, Charlie, I typically I tend to get back to these things. I'm going to get to back to Lock and Key. I'm going to get back to Wheel of Time. Those are on my, my list of shows to watch. A list, you and your list. Listen, Tad, I, your new nickname is going to be Listicles. You know, I like the, I have to have a list, or I'll forget what I was going to watch. Oh, uh, good stuff. Well, something that we never need a list for is uh, how to find the Air Qantas app because that's right. It's time to take it to the land down under. That's right. It's time for the Thunderdome. We got to get down there, get in front of the mutants because we got something crazy to talk about. So let's party. Thank you, Tina. We're sitting in the Thunderdome where we've gathered the mutants for a topic or a game to be entertained. And this week, we're doing a topic. I mentioned at the top of the show, we're doing a new one called Does It Hold Up? So for week one, we're going to check out a movie that some of us have never seen or we saw it so long ago, we forgot most of it. So it's now we're going to watch it with modern eyes to see what we think of it with our modern lens. So there we go. So The Crow... This came out in 1994. I was going to my sophomore year, Charlie. I was I was a maintenance uh, person. I stayed at Hubbard Hall over the summer. I cleaned mm-hmm. the dorms. I actually was a, 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 a I basically acted like kind of an RA for summer camps as well, which was oh, kind of wow. cool. Uh, yeah, it was fun. I, I enjoyed well, that. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's how, and it wasn't 94 because that's when I got out of high school. But in the summer of 95, early in the summer of 95, because I took a job at Holden Hall, so across campus from where you were, but your ace number one buddy, Steve Borowski, was going to be an RA on my floor. He was there 
two, three weeks early, just like I was getting things ready. I was getting things organized, whatever it is. And because we were the two guys around, we became friends. And then when everything started showing up, you were his sweet man. That's how you and I met. So this is fall of 95. Watching uh, reruns of Welcome Back, Cotter, and Earthworm Jim, and you exposed me to weird comics like Milk and Cheese. And it was the beginning of our bromance. It was a different time. 25 years going strong, almost 30. It was a different time. The world was in a different mode. Uh, And I was big. I gotten back into comics in college because there was a comic shop that I could just bike to um, on every Wednesday after class. Got out, go over there, play some arcade games, pinball Pete's, get my comics, have a good time. I'm trying to remember the name of that comic book shop. It was right on the corner by BW3s. Forgot what it was called. Grumpy Owner kind of a hipster but um right i got my comics there so but i started getting into comics that summer because there was a guy that was also at the dorms and he introduced me into a lot of like deep cuts like watchmen and things like that really enjoyed it and one book that i read a little bit of was the crow and then i was super excited when the crow was announced to be made i'm like the crow really this is like so odd because this was an independent book uh, right. that nobody knew about, um, had a little bit of a following, but apparently somebody signed it. And so uh, essentially this movie, uh, directed by Alex Proyas, who was a, basically a music video director, uh, mm-hmm. did some stuff on MTV for, I think, Nine Inch Nails, some other bands, uh, got this film. Brandon Lee's in this movie, Ernie Hudson, Michael Wilcott, a few others. Uh, budget of $23 million, made $94 million. So very successful for an indie film. Big time, big um, time. Yeah. And, and, and the other thing I want to note is... It was the time of music movie soundtracks, and right. movie soundtracks were huge. This was number one soundtrack for a long time. Had a Stone Temple Pilot song that was number one as well that came off of this. I love the soundtrack. It was so good. I bought it. I absolutely loved it. But it was that like uh, cutting edge ninety three X type of music. Grunt. It was like a little bit post grunge, but it was kind of that. Music. So this this right. was a theme of this movie. So the premise of this movie is. The night before his wedding, music uh, Eric musician Eric Draven, played by Bren Lee, and his fiance are brutally murdered by members of a violent inner city gang. On the anniversary of their death, death Eric rises from the grave and assumes the gothic mantle of the crow, a supernatural avenger. Tracking down the thugs responsible for the crimes and mercilessly murdering them, Eric eventually confronts head gangster Top Dollar, played by Michael Wincott, to complete his macabre mission. Oh, so the crow, goodness. the crow comic book, I believe it was, it was, it was a uh, individual series. Yeah. Um, and yes, absolutely. This is all about basically this crow finds spirits who've been wrong, done wrong, brings them back to life. And the crow is kind of like a totem. If you kill the crow, you will uh, take away the ability for this person that resurrects to become essentially a, uh, uh, Immortal and indestructible. Immortal, yeah. Yeah, indestructible. You know, I think they have a little bit of superpowers. They can, like, you know, be super athletic, maybe a little bit stronger, but yeah, can't be killed. They so there we do, go, they, Charlie. They can do flips and shit. And even though he's been dead for a year, he didn't decompose and he still has blood nope. because when he gets shot, he bleeds, which wouldn't happen with the corpse. But, you know, um, yeah, wow. This was, uh, it was very dark and it was very rainy set in my hometown in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, I wouldn't say I was intimately familiar with the whole Devil's Night thing. This was a movie I think that my brother, now if this came out in May, and then maybe that Halloween, 
or subsequently, because my brother went to Western Michigan University, also here in West Michigan, for a year or so. And I feel like maybe we were home at the same time, and the VHS of this found its way from Blockbuster, because there's a Blockbuster in Easttown not far from here, so maybe found its way over. And so it's like a Friday night, and I'm home for the weekend, and all the lights are off, and we're watching this movie. And it was just, man, it was just everything that the 90s was, man. Dark, like you said, grungy music you got a bunch of uh you got a bunch of toughs acting tough with their leather and their stringy hair and everybody says motherfucker really weird and god damn it really weird that's 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 a hallmark of 90s movies they did that a lot in the matrix which really rubbed me the wrong ways god damn it motherfucker you know <laughs> it was just it was just I- out of- it was just a very nice thing. I, I understand you feel that way. I have never noticed that, I guess. I, it's just a weird thing. And maybe it's simply uh, being someone who, as a writer, has really paid attention to dialogue in a way and, and, and working in even just theater when I was in high school and being around a, you know, like a dialect coach, you just tend to think about things like that. It's just really bizarre. It's really very It's probably a lot of Canadians. They just bring a lot of Canadians in and try to act. They did. And what's funny is that this movie was entirely shot in North Carolina, which was very film credit wise was very big in the late eighties or in early nineties. Like it's just, you know, named, you know, Dawson's Creek was shot there. Uh, I think what uh, the empire records I'm thinking like small independent films. So it was obviously people got a lot of, a lot of mileage out of their dollars. But this was a film that I feel like was more shot on a soundstage because of the darkness and the raining and the different stuff. And yeah, the, the, it seemed like no part of this was during the day. It was even darker and uglier than Gotham City, you know, ever could have been. And, you know, Tim Burton tried really very hard in his two Batman films to make Gotham City very dark and gothic with the crazy statues and all this different stuff that he did with that. But um I can scarcely think, and again, reflecting on our own childhood, uh, and this movie, of course, we'll go on to talk about how it was really was essentially mired in tragedy because of an, on, an onset death. Um, but this film, because of that onset death, which had to do with Brandon Lee, the star of the film, who's the, most famously the son of, of uh, martial artist Bruce Lee, who was huge in the 1970s and also died. Uh, did Bruce Lee die, die in kind of uh, on the line? Did he die in was something related to? I remember seeing his biopic. He was, I think he was actually played by his son in his biopic. I feel no, like he 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 died of a brain aneurysm essentially. Okay. Yeah, he wasn't he wasn't killed on set or anything like that. But yeah, right. Um, this but, this uh, was yeah that but they, yeah. they they filmed they they got most of this movie filmed, but mm. not all of it was filmed with Brandon Lee. Right. They had to use some technology. They used basically body doubles to finish this film. Uh, right. I, I can't imagine um, having to come back on set do things. After well, such a tragedy occurred, I mean, it, they pushed it to the point that uh, this film was was funded and was going to be distributed by Paramount Pictures, one of the biggest studios in the world. They shelved it, and Miramax, uh, which was, you know, the less said about Miramax and Harvey Weinstein in this current day and age, the better. But Miramax, around the same period of time, gave us Clerks, which launched Kevin Smith's career. Yep. Uh, they they came in, they put an extra eight or ten million dollars in it to finish it, and they put it out, so they made that money. Uh, oh, where, yeah. You know, yeah, they made, the, you know, they made their investment by taking on something kind of unpleasant, which was, you know, a, a scandal. And it's a very sad story because it's described in the IMDb page exactly what happened. Uh, a prop gun, 
uh, had not been properly unloaded from a prior use use. And so it was one of these that the, you know, I, I believe the, the wad and then and then some of the some of the, the fusing and the packing fired still with sufficient velocity uh, and struck uh, Brandon Lee in the abdomen and killed him. Uh, the same kind of thing happened. I know we've talked about it, but that series Voyagers that I'd loved in the early eighties, the star of that show, John Eric Hexham, after that show was canceled, he went on to his next job. I had a prop gun in his hand. And at the end of the day, he was, you know, making a, making a shoot myself motion gun went off, fired the wadding into his brain and killed him. So, Moral we of the have story the most recent is, Alec, Alec Baldwin just right, you know, accidentally shot someone. Thing. So this isn't something that's gotten better over time, apparently. Yeah, you know, you think with digital technology, it wouldn't be necessary to load guns at all, but it's but it's still yeah. happening. Yeah, apparently, yeah. So I mean, this is a tragic tale. This is his final memory, though, and they right. they say for Brandon and someone else at the film. I can't remember who all the other person was that right. apparently passed away as well. Uh, but, you know, it's 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 fitting that there's a memory of him that now people can remember him from. But it's tragedy that it actually had yeah. to occur. Yeah. Um, yeah. So and then Miramax. Yeah. I mean, they were as much part of the 90s as anything else. And out of Miramax uh, came Dimension Films, which came Scream, which, you know, mm-hmm. talk about success. But, you know, the fact, like I said, budget of 23 million made 94 million. This is a big, it was at the time, that's a lot of money for a small film that, you know, not much was expected, especially with essentially a franchise or IP that has no, we talk about, you know, Fantastic Four people even barely knowing them. Nobody knew about The Crow. So the fact that this did right. so well, that was amazing. And 90, you know, $94 million in 1994 money. That's pretty damn well, good. That'd probably be like $400 I, million dollars well, today. Hold on, well, hold on. You know, you know that I'm going to have that up on my, uh, my inflation inf- calculator, you know, yeah. my, my, my conversion calculator. movie no, no, tickets my, calculator. Hold on. Let's see here. So we're talking about, I know this is, this is great radio folks. I know it. 1994. And ninety four. So what do you think, folks? Ninety four million dollars numbers. Yep. We're gonna get these punched Todd, in. Charlie's gonna give the, us a number. The number will shock you at coming in at one hundred and seventy nine million seven hundred and forty eight thousand and ninety one dollars and sixty cents. And that will probably beat Lightyear at the box office by almost oh. double. Yeah, well, oh, yeah. <laughs> how crazy is that? Yeah, Sadly, but um, yeah, an, an enormous success for an independent film that, again, Todd, much like the Wachowskis, five years later with The Matrix, really struck a chord for popular culture, youth culture, youth culture in so much as counterculture and Gen X, which is our generation, the whatever generation, our people, um, and really how things you know, played out for them. So yeah, I, um, it, it, is it a moment in time, but then again, to answer, uh, your question, does it hold up? I'm going to say no, I, I'm not going to look at it in the same lens as I might look at what I would consider a really great modern film, but in 20 years, that really great modern film, I may feel the same way about it. It may, it may seem too topical, but you know, like I said, the, the, the scripting, you know, things like scripting and dramatic effects, aren't always going to play out so great. Um, but, you know, I, maybe I would have a different perspective had I read the comics or had an affinity for them. Maybe it was really great and true to the source material. But it doesn't really need to hold up, I guess is my answer for it. Because, again, Todd, in 1994, I was 18, you were 19, we were young men, we were experiencing, you know, to be life in college and having our whole future ahead of us. And 
in a way, everything was great and fun and wonderful. And this is a cap. This encapsulates that period of time when you know you had the street toughs that had the you know big stringy long hair and ripped up jean jackets, and they were they were brandishing guns and they were doing drugs, and it was all edgy. It was all super edge lord with the Nine Inch Nails soundtrack, and it was raining all the time, and the crow was painted up like the Joker, and you know wearing his stretchy clothes and kicking and stabbing, and it was just it was it was. That's the '90s right there. This plus Clerks plus The Matrix plus Empire Records equals the '90s. You get it from all sides. Yeah, and reading some of the comics, they this was remarkably faithful to the comic, which I think is impressive that they actually got the opportunity to put some of these scenes, especially the pawn shop scene, that was from almost scene for scene from the comic. So I think 28 years later, compared to other comic book movies. I think this is much holds up much better than most of them did. The Phantom, all those movies. So I actually watching it again, I actually was really entertained. So I I appreciate. It. Yes, there's some nostalgia, but once again, I'll call out crap if it looks like crap. Um, but I think and there were some special effects that did not age well, where you could see this looked like a model, or the the crow looked like it was on a like a bad CGI background. And this is where CGI was just starting too. So in the, the with a twenty four million twenty three million dollar budget, I think for what they did, I think they pulled it off, and they did a I, great job for what for, it was. For sure, the CGI. Uh, head and shoulders above the Langoliers, uh, which came because I mean, I think this is right around a T2, I mean, Abyss, I mean, to do things like that on a shoestring budget, not I mean, ILM is not helping them out, right? I if mean, you, if, yeah, a few yeah. years remarkably, but yeah, if you look at the effects house that pulled this off, it was probably two guys in a tin can, um, but probably. still. But still, like you said, uh, Alex Portraeus, who is the guy who came from MTV, whatever it is, so within his skill set and his obvious style. I think it fits the bill. That's why, yeah, I was going to say, that's why music was a big part of it because of the video scene where a lot of the directors came from that. Um, David Fincher did videos as well. Um, He went on to make like Dark City, which is kind of a cool film for the time. Uh, Predated The Matrix was kind of neat. And he did some other things after that. But um, the fun part about this is, so I would say, I think it, for me, it did hold up, but I get it um, because a little bit of it is going to be tinged from, but when I watched it, I'm like, it was watchable. I, I enjoyed it. So, um, well, yeah, it's a wa- split, wa- it's a split wa- vote. Watch, watchable. I did enjoy it. Hold it up to a modern lens. Not so much, but again, yeah. more, more of a capsule in time, which, which yeah. I appreciated it. But do, do I think it holds stands test of time? I don't think so. Oh yeah. It's, it's not, it's, and that's the hard part. It's like, does it stand up or is it watch? It's better. Does it hold up or is it watchable? It's probably the better thing. So well, these well, may well, not we, be watchable. We, we, we will change that for the next segment. Could you stand it or did it make you want to throw up? It's exactly, it's, it's, exactly. it's the puke, the puke test. The puke, I just renamed the segment. It's the puke test. Like the Bechdel test, but it's like the, the, the puke, the puke tell test. Yes. There does it go. make you puke? Uh, yeah. Um, so, so just a few other notes here. Um, we are getting a essentially a reboot of The Crow starring Bill Skarsgård that essentially is going to be rebooted. So that'd be interesting to see. Okay. He's a great talent. I love him. So I, I don't know that he's done anything that I can think of that I didn't really enjoy. That he won't scare the poop out of you? Yeah. yeah I don't know. That, <laughs> can, that, he be a, that, can he be a hero? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, well, it's cool. Yeah, Charlie, I'll, I'll, I'll go see it and I'll think about our experience here without a doubt. 
Yeah, and it's funny because I'm like, I know they made other crow things that I did not see. Or maybe I saw the the second movie, but they essentially the crow was set up to be. You can essentially do anthologies because the crow can rescue anyone and turn them right. into to redeem themselves. So that's it's set up there. So we got the crow as a follow up City of Angels in 1996 with Vincent Perez, Mia Kirshner, Richard Brooks. Got a 4.6 on the rating scale. Probably not too good. We got The Crow, Stairway to Heaven uh, in 1998, 1999. I'm not sure if this was a series or not. With Mark DeCascos. Subsequently sued by the estate of John Bonham. Maybe. Then Crow Salvation uh, with Kirsten Dunst was in this, and it came out in... 2000. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, then, essentially, you did a lot more research than me, but the last line in that first, I, I, either I was looking at Wikipedia or I was looking at the bottom of IMDb said there were uh, subsequent sequels, there was television series, none of which captured the success of the original. Yeah. And lastly, so, yeah. Uh, we, we got one last, we got one last one. It was the Crow Wicked Prayer 2005. Uh, and Tara Reid apparently was in this one. And also wow. David Boreanaz. And Edward wow. Furlong, Charlie. Wow. Edward Furlong. There's a guy who's done a lot with his career since then. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I think, yeah. Pet Cemetery he, he, 2, Terminator 2. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. I think the most you saw him was in, 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 a, in a mug shot. That's what you got out of him. Poor kid. Poor kid. Oh, yeah. I know. Oh, True wow. enough, yeah. Oh, well, folks, let us know. It's It was actually on Paramount Plus until today. It's oh, not no. there anymore. So oh, I don't wow. know where you can watch okay. it. So it was, it was precipitous for us, Charlie. Good for us. It may go to another streaming service, but if you can check it out, check it out. I think it's highly entertaining uh, based on just a snapshot of the yeah. 90s. I would say it's certainly if you're someone uh, who is in our age bracket, uh, a Gen Xer, um, you will you will enjoy. It was funny. I was talking to April, who was much more into you know hard rock and things like that than I was back in those days. I'm like, you've not seen this movie? She says, no. I mean, April, April had her you know had her, my stepdaughter very young. She was like, no, I was an adult then. I just thought the movie looked stupid, so I never saw it. I'm like, okay, okay, I can accept that. But but it's worth it's worth a watch now. I think so. Anyway. Uh, and Charlie, yeah. next week, next week we're going to do the Goonies. So we need some. Maybe we can get some people on that actually would like to talk about the Goonies. So I don't know. Well, we'll figure out. Maybe if we can get a, a co-star to be on to talk about the Goonies next week. That sounds very. I, I might have someone in mind. We'll see what happens. Uh, we'll All see right. About that. Um, very, but very, very good. good. But that is the end of our program so friends thank you as always for joining us uh todd where do people find you out on the social medias yes they can follow me on twitter at tioxtra um i'm always talking about video games fun things i like recommendations for building my geek den so if you've got any of those let me know but yeah other than that just i want people to go and find me on youtube at secret friends unite and www.secretfriendsunite.com and check out our stuff Plug, 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 plug. Friends, you can find me over on Twitter at the C3. Go ahead and spell that out. My lovely wife, April, and I do run the USS Grand Petoskey. That is a Michigan chapter of the Starfleet, the Star Trek International Fan Club. You can find us uh, at a website of that same name and on all social medias. I also do try to populate our Secret Friends Unite Facebook groups with content from time to time to keep the conversation going. So please come check us out there. So, as always, friends, again, one more time, thank you for joining us. I'm going to tell you that sharing is caring and to keep on trucking. Be the, f- <laughs> ah, be the hero, not the villain. <laughs> <laughs>
in a truck. Fire it up, fire it up, fire it up. This podcast is part of the Secret Friends Unite podcasting network. Visit secretfriendsunite.com for more great shows, articles, news, reviews, and more. Secret Friends Unite podcasts are available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and other podcast services around the world. If you'd like to be part of the conversation, you can join us on Facebook or our new Discord server, or follow at Secret Friends U on Twitter. Please subscribe to Secret Friends Unite on YouTube and visit our merch store at tpublic.com. Just search Secret Friends Unite. Thanks for listening.